I'm SP from Better Podcasting, a show dedicated to help make your podcast better. And it is part of the Get a Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other insightful and wonderful geeky shows at gunnageeknetwork.com. This is the official gunnageek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome to the 391st episode of the official Gunna Geek Show. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is Chris Farrell. I would like $5. <laughs> and also with us, of course, he, we're back. The three amigos are here. SP is here. So fun to be back in the studio podcasting with you guys tonight. It was fun to be away, that's for sure. But it's fun to be back, too. So just one of those things. I'm good either way, and I'm just glad to be here tonight. Well, I can tell you that the show is 33.3333% suckier because I'm here still. Well, just go ahead and mute yourself, and Chris and I will take care of the rest of the cast. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, if you didn't know this, we're part of the Gunna Geek Network, but we have a Discord server called the Gunna Geek Discord server that you can check out at gunnageek.com forward slash Discord. There's been some smart home and other tech and TV talk happening over there lately. If you want to check that out, we'd love to have you come and join us while we are not recording the show. You can find a bunch of great conversation over there, including today, the new trailer dropped for the Hawkeye television show that is coming your way. And there is a lot of conversation happening that way. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. It looks very interesting. And let's just say it's kind of got a little bit of like um, diehard vibe. I think you're interested into it because of all the holiday decorations that are everywhere on the trailer. 100%. 100%. It is a Christmas show, and it does look very faithful to the comic books. If you read Matt Fraction's run on Hawkeye, yeah, that's what we're getting on screen, it looks like. And should, I dig it. Should be a fun time. So come check out the Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. All right, let's start off this week with a little bit of Android news. If you didn't know this, Android is looking to have an update around the corner, and we're starting to see the usual breadcrumbs within the various releases for the features that are going to try to be secret now and then come out eventually. And this includes the Android push feature that is the current rumor that's coming to both the Android operating system and Google OS on Chromebooks. This was first noticed in Android 12 previews back in February, but recently 9to5Google spotted an update that hints that this is going to be coming soon enough to the Google phones and laptops. The current speculation is that this new push feature will be a button on Android 12 that will tie into a new feature that's codenamed ESH, E-C-H-E, on Chrome OS. Although nothing's official yet, it looks like this is going to be launching supporting only Pixel devices, something that has been per pretty standard when it's come to Google rolling out new features on mass. They go and they put them on Pixel devices before they roll them out to everybody. This push feature looks like it's going to allow you to push content from the phone over to your Google OS device basically picking up that app right where you left off. Now, truthfully, my opinion, this looks very basic compared to what Apple debuted this past year where they're going to take a bunch of their products and seamlessly you put them down beside each other and you're basically moving from one window to another. This, from what it's rumored, pales in comparison to that. However, I do want to say that I think any focus on the ability to move between devices is going to be pretty important and pretty helpful for certain users. For myself, I personally use the Send to device or Send to device feature a lot within Chrome. That's where you can take a tab and you can throw it over to another device that you're logged into. I use this all the time. Basically, I'm browsing 
a little bit of tech news on the pooper and then I'm done pooping. So then I go and I, uh, uh, oh, no, come on. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Come on. I don't have the time. To, uh, to, to send that over. But the I joke had to be made. I'm sorry. I'm here for the lowbrow humor. That's why you keep me employed. Yeah, it was good. That was good. No, but I, I do use this quite a bit when I'm going between different uh, devices from my phone to my laptop or from my phone to my desktop or from my desktop to my phone. And although this feature right now is only for Chromebooks, which I do not have, I'm just happy they're paying attention to this functionality because this idea of sending between devices is a realization I think that the tech world needed to wake up for because for a long time we were looking at well you want one platform that's a great experience for everybody and and that was the push well the reality is some content is better consumed on one type of device than another and there are users who do this that they're like oh I just want to go view this on my on my tablet right now or I want to go view this on my um, Chromebook or whatever. So hopefully this will expand eventually. But for now, this is the current rumor about a new Android push feature coming soon. What do you think about this, SP? I know you're a massive Android and Chromebook user. I know that when my daughter was in her freshman year, my youngest daughter was in her freshman year, she really wanted to convert from a Windows laptop to a MacBook. And one of the reasons was the interconnectivity between her iPad, her iPhone, and her Apple TV, even though it was just a third generation. She wanted to go ahead and have all that connectivity between all the devices because she saw other students in college. This is pre-COVID, by the way. She saw other students in college being able to do all that stuff. And it was before the M1 MacBooks as well. So she went ahead and she got one. and. Uh, it's been working great for her. She really likes that interconnectivity, that interfunctionality between all the devices. And because of that, I have been able to see some of that myself throughout my devices that I have. My ability, if I'm watching something on my iPhone, more often than not, I'm able to push it to my Roku devices, which I'm watching on the TV. So not only within the Apple infrastructure, but outside the Apple infrastructure, I see that as well. So anything that Android and Google can do to make that a more complete interconnectivity between all sorts of devices, I think it's just going to be better for everyone, regardless of what ecosystem that you're in. Because I do believe eventually all these ecosystems will combine and you'll be able to be interoperable between a bunch of different stuff, between your smart home stuff your uh, home electronics, like your media center and your mobile devices and your computers. I think that is the key long-term just to be able to do that. And uh, for everybody that doesn't have that capability now, even though you do have more recent devices, I say, I'm sorry. I know that people like Android are working on this right now. Well, let's also keep in mind, they've been doing cast for 10, not 10, five years at this point in time, six years, I think they've had the cast ability that then everyone kind of did their own similar thing. And Google's done AirPlay and things like that. So there's already been seeds planted for doing media across devices and syncing playlists and stuff like that. But I don't know, maybe I don't use Chromebooks. So I'm looking at this going, hey, this would be great win slash if it comes to Windows or Mac OS. But at the same time, I go, oh, Google doesn't own these platforms. So it's going to have to be some kind of hacky implementation to make it happen. That's where Apple has a distinct advantage, which is they own the Mac OS platform. They own the iPad and the iPhone OS platform and can make these things talk easily enough. Chromebooks are becoming more and more ubiquitous, but for power users, for folks who are doing stuff like we are, like video rendering, processing, streaming to the web, things like that, Chromebooks aren't a thing that are going to do it. Chrome OS isn't going to do it. We're stuck on Windows and Mac OS. And I still kind of struggle to figure out how they're going to implement this in a proper way with those OSs where it doesn't feel hacky or not as streamlined as it should be. And to be honest, as I think about it, like Stephen, you mentioned sharing tabs across devices. I do that all the time too. I'll do the send to, or I'll just pull up the history and go to my other devices and open a tab from there that I was looking at. So I've used those pieces of things. I'm trying to think of other things I'd want to push between those environments. And really it just comes down to media And I'm not sure I have a huge need there because most of these media sources all sync on the back end. So if I'm watching a video on, say, Google Play Movies, 
on my phone and I go, oh, I want to watch this on the big screen. I either fling it up there via Google Chromecast slash cast or whatever we're calling it now or AirPlay if I'm on the Apple side of the house or I just load the app and go to continue what I was watching and I'm within 10 to 15 seconds of where I stopped on my phone. So it sounds really cool on paper. It sounds convenient. I just don't know if the use case will ever really be there for me where it's a, a massive game changing enhancement for me. I can think myself of a, a ton of examples where I would use it. Uh, text messaging. I all the time start to text things and then I go, this is getting, this is too much of a pain. And then I pull up messages.google.com and then I have to restart mm-hmm. it. So the ability that I, I could just transfer it and have my, my message I've already started there would be great. Reddit, same thing with Reddit. All the time I'll start on one platform and want to send it to another. I would love to be able to just do that and pick up where I left off as well as the social media platforms. Sometimes I'll be in the middle of looking at a tweet string or whatever, and I want to change that. I'd love to be able to transfer that where I left off or Facebook. Or, so so these sort of things for me would be huge because there are situations where I, I do leave off in something and I want to continue it, but now continue it on another platform. So that would be helpful for me. That's going to be tough because then you're relying on those apps being updated to support it too, I would assume. But I think in some way, shape, or form. That's what they're talking about with this whole push thing. When they talk about the push, they're talking about apps and carrying on apps. So I I think that that will be one of those things that might end up being happening in the background. Because remember, this is talking about Google um, Chrome OS devices, which are based off of apps. So I think there's probably going to be some ability there to to pull from one to the other just within the OS itself. Now, uh, that so, might be where you never see it on Windows. So you can do that with Google Apps, I'm sure, because Google will bake that in. But if you're reliant on, say, Facebook, making updates to the Facebook apps that you can push between Chrome OS and Android OS, I don't know that Facebook's going to be like, oh, the juice is worth the squeeze on this. We've got to sync the time into making this work, even if it's a simple API call or something like that, that they have to do to make it happen. So I guess the question I would have is when it comes to implementation, is it something that Google handles by basically packaging up something that, for like a better term, we'll call it a URL that it can send to these other right. devices that opens and repopulates with that stuff? Or are they reliant on the app vendors making some kind of updates to make this happen? Because if you want widespread adoption, you need to make it as easy as possible. Yeah, and that's where we're too early to tell, but I do look forward to seeing that because that, that's a very good point you bring up. All right, moving on to the next news point here. That's enough about Android. Let's move on to another news point. What do you got, Chris? Yeah, that's enough about Android. Hey, uh, let's keep talking about Android. Android 12, we know should be coming soon. It's been in beta since May, I think, is when the public beta opened. And there's been a lot of rumors and consternation and questions about when's Android 12 coming out? When will I be able to put it on my Pixel device on day one and the variety of other devices that Google is supporting on day one now? There are some rumors floating around that Google may target September 13th or September 16th, but a lot of people went, that's dumb. You're launching your OS right about the same time they're doing the new announcement for Apple devices. Why would we do this? Well, we may have some clarification now Uh, Android 12 may be released on October 4th is what we're hearing. This is according to an internal document shared by XDA developers. The next version features the new Material U design that a lot of people are really enthused and excited about. It's going to change the look and feel of Android as a whole. It'll be completely different feeling, and a lot of people have been pretty optimistic about how well it works, or how well it will work, rather, based off of the beta. And... Why is, other than this document that's been leaked that seems to be pretty true, why do we think this might be true? Well, this puts it in the general ballpark of when Google is expected to announce and stop teasing us about the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro. And more than likely, both of these phones will probably be launching with Android 12. So they'll want to announce the release of the phone to then be able to put the newest version of the OS. And the rumor is October 19th, will be the launch of the new line of Pixel phones. So this October 4th release of Android 12 potentially makes sense. They get it out a couple weeks before the new phone comes out. They get a lot of excitement. And then if you want the premiere experience on the best hardware and horsepower out there, you pick up a Pixel 6, which I'm sort of considering, but I'm sure the price point will be way too high. So yeah, next version of Android coming soon. And the next version of iOS is also coming soon too. So we're going to have a whole bunch of new OSs to play with on the mobile side of the house. And I'm cautiously optimistic to see how it goes. I run both iOS, excuse me, iPad OS and Android devices in my home. 
So it'll be kind of fun getting two new OSs at the same time and seeing, ooh, Android does this. Does, <laughs> does Apple do it? No, but Apple does this. Does Android do it? Oh, not so great, but they sort of do it. So we'll have some fun <laughs> coming out discussing what does and doesn't work in the new releases of Android and iPhone slash iPad OS. I like how you determined between the two that Apple absolutely couldn't do it, <laughs> but that Android could sort of kind of do it, thus putting Android at a higher level in your fictitious example. Well, I mean, that wasn't really in my intent in it. It was more of just I was going to the two extremes of these OSs. They have a lot of crossover, but we get into looking at some very niche things to do on there where it's something random crazy and Android's a bit more flexible in that regard than iPad and iPhone OS is when it comes to doing those weird and crazy things in it. Mm-hmm. Summary, again, summary, he stands by it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I actually agree. You know, this isn't anything to do with the news, but I agree with his analogy because that that is the case is Apple would not release something half-baked. Google would be like, here's your, half, uh, here's your half-baked pie to go with your half-baked casserole. Have fun. Like, that's what they it's do. It's called the Google Pixel Buds. <laughs> There's your funny, most recent half-baked things. Right? So true. Uh, Okay, so I'm excited for Android 12. This is probably one of the most excited I've been actually about an Android release for a long time. When I watched that keynote way back when, this looks like where Google needed to go to continue what Android was. Android was always more flexible because half the time because of what you just mentioned, the half-bake concept. Like they, they were always willing to be more flexible and then Apple has caught up quite a bit with the most recent release. There's still a lot of limitations, but there, there's more flexibility with the actual visual layout. And Android just kind of hung back a little bit. And this is this is great on paper from what I've seen for the flexibility. And I'm looking forward to having some of that customizability right baked into the OS just because this is one of the things that I've actually seen Android users flock towards Samsung products, sometimes inferior Samsung phone products as well, just because Samsung has done so much of this. Oh, you can make it as pretty as you want. Ignore the fact that everything crashes every little bit or or ignore the fact that it's covered with bloatware and people's like, well, oh, well, wait, wait. <laughs> Samsung one, as they call it now, has gotten far better than when we were talking about the I don't even remember what it used to be called. It's yeah. escaping my mind what their OS used to be called. Yeah, no, I, I agree, right? But but that was the, like, they've scaled back the customizability on Samsung. But but I'm talking about, like, four or five years ago, where it's like, I can customize so many different things, and it was a bloaty device. And I like that Google is getting more into that visual thing baked right into the OS. And I want to try out these theme generators that they've touted. So I, I look forward to this. And yes, this means that I will absolutely see it generate a theme around your face, Chris. That'll be my background. I mean, that is one of the cool things that a lot of vendors have touted, which is the ability of, hey, I'm going to select this wallpaper. And it basically looks at and says, hey, based off this wallpaper, here's how we theme your colors and your device and change outlines for icons and stuff like that. That's cool and lends itself to a better visual experience. I'm kind of curious to see how, how well it works. That being said, I think I've run the same wallpaper on my phone for the last eight months at this point in time because I'm a creature of habit and don't like to change it. So I'll probably do it once or twice, but uh, hell with this. I'm going back to my old wallpaper because that's what I'm comfortable with. Mine's still the stock wallpaper. <laughs> Sorry, kids, you didn't make it to this phone. <laughs> wow. I don't feel that bad then because at least, <laughs> at least I updated those. <laughs> All right, well, moving on to the next news point here. Uh, SB has a red light special for you. Go ahead. Is that like the blue light special at Kmart? No, not at all, (laughs) because, you know, blue light special never had lives depending on it. So here's what happened. Remember, we talked about the Virgin Galactic groundbreaking flight on July 11th earlier this year in 2021. Well, they got their wings, right? They got their astronaut wings. They did. They had a wing ceremony afterwards, right? So there was a whole thing on that. But if you remember talking or reading about the the event, there was kind of a party afterwards, but they separated the press from the company personnel. There might have been a little bit more to that. Now, let's talk about what actually happened. The Federal Aviation Administration, which I'll call FAA for the rest of this story, grounded Virgin Galactic's Spaceship 2 VMS Unity pending an investigation and 
the company's chief test pilot and flight test director, Mark Stuckey, was fired following Virgin Galactic's historic July 11th, 2021 commercial flight into space. Now, a little bit more detail. Stuckey was actually fired over Zoom by the Virgin Galactic human relations manager eight days after the flight. Now, on the flight in question, the craft was significantly off course and its planned trajectory on the ascent stage, known as the entry glide cone, was resulting in a yellow light and then a red light indicator on the dashboard. Now, the flight deviation was not immediately reported to the FAA. And as a note to the story, which was originally published on the NewYorker.com, said that according to that story, Virgin Galactic is working with the FAA to update notification procedures to the FAA of future flight deviations and anomalies during flight. Now, Spaceship Two pilots Dave McKay and Mike Masuki were able to correct the flight trajectory and continue on with the flight. However, most procedures for such an anomaly, such as the yellow light, which turned into a red light, would normally return VMS Unity for an emergency landing versus continuing on into outer space. Now, Virgin Galactic was scheduled for a late September flight before a planned eight-month refurbishment of VMS Eve, which is the mothership that carries Spaceship 2 before it launches. It is currently unknown if the September flight will happen as planned, be delayed, or be canceled pending the FAA determination. So nothing's happening with Virgin Galactic until the FAA comes to a conclusion with their investigation. I don't know what their investigation entails specifically. Is it the notification? Is it the fact that the pilots continued on despite the warning light and the flight deviation? I don't know, but we'll see. So I don't know if you guys read these stories. I'm pretty sure you've seen the headlines, but there is a lot of detail in there. And if I was a passenger on that flight, like if I was Branson myself, I would be furious with everybody. Oh, really? Oh, oh, I, I don't know that I, I would be furious. I don't know what Mark Stuckey has in it to have not followed proper protocol. I, I don't know what, like, what did he personally have to go into this? Uh, there are other people who have a very large investment in the in the company or um, a higher motivation to maybe have encouraged continuing on unless certain circumstances happen. I I highly doubt that this flaw was entirely his. I think that there is likely some. This is my total speculation. I think there's good reason that to believe that possibly <laughs> as I, I dance this somebody had some some off the books conversations about what would and what not would not be acceptable to go through because remember this will okay, happen hold, hold on this will happen before under pressure. before you go any further yeah. let me state that in the details of all the articles mark stuckey on characteristically had absolutely nothing to do with this flight he was on the tarmac. He had nothing to, he wasn't in the flight control. Okay. He did not have anything to do with it. So why was he so, fired? That's the speculation. Right. Okay. So then, okay. So then, someone's got to pay the price. All right. So then whoever it was, if it, I, I, I admit I, I made the assumption it was Stucky because he was fired after this. I assume that they found some form of reason to blame him, but whoever it was that made this call, whoever it was, this whole flight came out of nowhere because they wanted to beat Bezos. That that this whole thing, the timeline seemed pushed up a little bit. Remember, this this all happened. I would not be surprised if maybe that's the better way I should have said it. I would not be surprised if there was some off the books conversations that happened that enabled this push to go through, or someone was basically given a directive or made clear that they should go through unless serious X, Y, and Z happens. So I I don't know who that would be. There are big names that could possibly have done it. There could have uh, not, but this is all 100% Stephen conspiracy theory. No substantiation to this. This is Stephen's conspiracy corner making it all up right now. Let's get those legal disclaimers out there. There's no, nothing for Stephen's me to substantiate. Stephen's conspiracy this. corner. Here's his theme song. <laughs> it's Stephen's conspiracy corner. There you go. I just think I just think the, the timing and the facts of all this 
are very suspect. So there you go. I don't know. Maybe it's all I'm wrong. So obviously no details are coming out because of the investigation, but I would be very curious as to exactly what you're speculating. What were Dave and Mike, the pilots, what were they told in advance and who told them? Like ultimately it's their call. It's the safety of the aircraft is your responsibility. And in in this case, it was an aircraft. It was flying at Mach 2, but it was an aircraft at the time. So it was their responsibility and the responsibility for the safety of the personnel on board was their responsibility. So I don't know, maybe they thought, hey, this flight, no matter what, this flight trajectory is off, uh, we can still safely do it. That's okay. But then the FAA, I don't know if their big issue is you didn't notify us. Right. And then afterwards, there was just so much pomp and circumstance and they were pushed away from the actual company representatives that there weren't a lot of uh, good conversations that happened back and forth. So I, I just wonder, same as you, is who was told what at what, t- who's ultimately responsible? And I have high hopes that the FAA's investigation will pin responsibility on the correct individuals. Maybe Stuckey was because he was the chief pilot and the test flight director. Maybe he bears responsibility just because of his position. I don't know, but we'll see how this unfolds. One, I doubt at this point in time that Virgin Galactic is going to make that next Mm. flight. And two, I don't know if they're going to be continued to allow to operate underneath their license unless some dramatic changes occur and future test flights occur to prove that the anomaly won't happen again. Why would they get a bigger hand slap than SpaceX did? Because we've talked on here about how there is a bit of a brouhaha with the FAA and then it just kind of went away so why why would this be have a bigger long-term impact than that spacex problem isn't a different kind of violation this is a bit more egregious what happened here you actually have humans on board the craft that is is that okay much much bigger issue okay gotcha that makes sense i stand i mean sit corrected faa has got to slap them hard so no one else gets the idea to be like well virgin galactic did it and they only got X kind of fine or penalty. It's totally worth it so that we can do this. Like, ha ha, look what we accomplished. And then we'll let the lawyers figure it out because who knows how people think of these things. Maybe it was all innocent. Let's play the other side of the coin. Maybe it was all 100% innocent. There is the possibility you find out there's some kind of software glitch or something like that. So things may not, I mean, I doubt that's the case. But there is always that potential, and that's why you have to investigate to figure out whether it's a software issue, whether it's a person issue, whether it's a planning issue, things like that. Because remember, these guys, they're going to do a flight. They plan and do trial runs and all sorts of stuff prior to that. So something failed somewhere. They need to figure out what it was. And if it's as simple as, hey, person X just went rogue and decided we have to do this, that's arguably probably a simpler fix than, hey, we had a massive software and hardware issue, and we're not exactly sure how the hell to fix it. I have not seen the procedures myself. All I've seen is these stories. And the stories say that most of the procedures say if you get that red light on the dashboard, you will board, basically. Mm -hmm. And they did not. So that calls all sorts of things into question for me. There's a good saying in the Navy and the Air Force, actually any aviators, it's call sign, knock it off. And when you knock it off, you just cease and desist and you return to normal operations. In this case, knock it off would mean return to an emergency landing. I'm really curious as to why they did not call knock it off when they had a bright red, I'm assuming flashing indicator on their dashboard. And, and the probably some audio cues too. Yeah, and the <laughs> procedures say return. Now, I don't know if Branson's in the back because remember, audio was touch and go from inside the cabin for this, right? So I don't know if Branson's sitting in the back going, go anyway, go anyway, we're going, or we're going bust or something like that. I, and if I were the pilots, I'd be like, no, this is just too dangerous. We already lost one of these doing a test flight. So why would we do it again? Anyway, Steven, I really liked your passion at the beginning. I just <laughs> didn't want you to get caught with something Thank that you. you didn't have the full knowledge. No, of, but- I appreciate that. I, I made the assumption that, that he was fired because somehow they found him false. So uh, Look, I appreciate the could, correction. Thank you. That could... St- could still be the case, but all indications were he had nothing actually to do on flight day. Uh, my passion still stands, though. I still believe the people that made the decision 
very well could have been influenced by somebody who may have been bigger that may or may not have been in the back of it. So uh, we'll see. President and I'm Biden? always up. <laughs> I'm always up for good conspiracy. So thank you for that one, Stephen. <laughs> if you have conspiracy theories of what you think actually happened, make sure you tweet them at Gunna Geek on Twitter and let us know what your conspiracy theory is here. If it's a good one, maybe we'll read it on the air next. <laughs> in the corner. It's Steven's Conspiracy Corner. <laughs> All right. Oh, as we laugh at our own jokes, let's go on to the next news point here. Uh, let me give you a name. Someone's got to laugh. <laughs> let me give you a name. The name is Steve Wozniak. If you don't recognize. Exactly. If you don't recognize Who's dancing that name. with the stars. Oh, Kathy Griffin's ex-boyfriend. I can't. Uh Steve Wozniak, if you don't recognize that name, maybe you'll recognize the nickname. It's Woz. Still don't recognize that? Well, he's the Apple guy. And I know what you're saying right now. No, Steve, that's Steve Jobs is the Apple guy. Well, yes and no. Because Apple was founded by Steve Jobs, fellow named Ronald Wayne, and Steve Wozniak. But due to various changes over the years and the life of Apple and various departures and Coming back, uh, Steve Jobs tend to be the bigger name, while Steve Wozniak tend to be the lesser of the known names when it comes to Apple. But I digress a little bit, especially because, let's be honest, a lot of our audience is very much into tech and probably knew exactly what I was talking about when I said Steve Wozniak. So let me tell you this. I have new Steve Wozniak news because he's got a new project that he's embarking on. I know what you're saying, SP. You're saying, all right, Steven, you have Steve Wozniak news. He's the co-founder of Apple. That must mean he has some form of new tech company going on. What's he building? Is it a new Apple rival? What's going on? He's taking it back from Tim Cook. <laughs> well, no, that's not the case. He, he's not doing no. anything like that. He's starting a space company. Wait, what? Again, I know, <sighs> SP, you're sitting there. You're excited. You're like, Steven. I can't believe a co-founder of Apple must be getting in on this space train along the likes of Elon Musk, Richard Branson, before, never mind, I won't make that joke about jail, uh, and Jeff Bezos. How long until the Waz goes to the Mars? Didn't really rhyme, but I tried. Uh, again, I know what you're saying to yourself. This sounds too good to be true. Well, it's, it is too good to be true because... He is not starting a company like that. He's going into waste management, so it seems. Yes. It's profitable. He's got a role. Looking at space garbage via a company called Privateer, apparently. Now, here's the bottom line is that things are very vague with this because all of this news stems from today. We record this on September 13th. This came out from a tweet he posted yesterday on September 12th which as I was making my notes for today's show at 4.06 p.m. Pacific time, the YouTube video that he posted, which was only 59 seconds long, mind you, it had a whopping 13,036 views with the YouTube channel of Privateer having a massive 468 subscribers with a colossal 266 thumbs up on the video. I'm pretty sure you were one of the thumbs up, but as far as the views, I'm sure you rewatched it at least like three dozen times. So that's like 13,000 other people viewed it other than you. Fair enough. So this video doesn't have a lot of attention as of when I wrote these new this uh, news point here. And the description simply reads, Privateer Space is working to keep space safe and accessible to all humankind. Co-founder by co-founded by Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak and Ripcord founder Alex Fielding, Privateer will be providing private audiences a glimpse into the company's future plans at Amos Tech 2021 in September. Now, when you watched this 59-second video with 13,036 views, there is a bunch of general PRBS involved. All sorts of basically banding the planet together and various other altruistic PR speak. At one point in the voiceover, it says, We are explorers. We are dreamers, risk takers, engineers, and stargazers. 
So that Stargazers is kind of a little bit off the path there. So you kind of think, okay, what are they getting at there? And then there's who did a, the voiceover. Was it was it was it Darth Vader? Yes, it was. Uh, no, no, I don't know who it was. Uh, and then throughout this 59 second video with a whopping 13,036 views, there is various clips of clear skies and the northern lights and various other planetary things that would be impacted by what is up in the world of space and space debris and things like that. So why do I break down all of these elements? Because really there still is no official word as of when we're recording the show on what this company privateer is actually doing. The only real hint that people could find to it really being a space garbage cleanup company, aside from that little nugget in the description, was from a press release that happened with, to do with the 3D printing technology that came out in August, where there was a, a comment in there about Privateer and a build Privateer as, quote, a new satellite company focused on monitoring and cleaning up objects in space, end quote. That was from that 3D printing technology press release back in August. And the press release did quote Wozniak talking about how the 3D printing technology could help their new company, quote, achieve the affordability and light weighting capabilities needed to pave the way for our satellite design and launch, end quote. Also, Wozniak has been involved with a bunch of different environmental sustainability projects before. So the bottom line, the Woz is up to something. And what that something is, don't know. It's all part of the wonderful world of Woz. <laughs> so they're not the only ones in the space technology realm that are using 3D printing for technology. Relativity Space, which is uh, trying to do a reusable rocket like SpaceX, they are also trying to perfect 3D printing of parts so that they can use them on board a, a rocket. So it's not new. It's not exclusive to what the WAS is doing. And I have no idea what other companies like Boeing or Lockheed or SpaceX are doing in terms of 3D printing their stuff. I really should look into it. But I know that the WAS is not the only one. As for space junk, it is a deal. It's getting even bigger. I know that there's been several news stories this year about the International Space Station either getting hit or having to move because of tracked space debris, but it got hit with space debris that they didn't even know was up there. It was so small, it's not being tracked. So I know this is getting to be a bigger and bigger issue, and especially I know that one of the uh, criticisms on the Starlink constellation is the fact that there's so many small sats up there, which contributes to the potential for space debris as you raise them up in orbit. In lower orbits, they only last so long. Like somebody in the chat asked, well, Sputnik's still up there? Or you could go up and grab Sputnik and bring him down. Well, no, Sputnik deorbited the next year, it, just a couple months. It went up in October. It came down in January the very next year because it was in the lower Earth orbit, which had a lot of drag from the atmosphere on it. I mean, nobody knew because nobody had been in the space before with Sputnik. So there are benefits if he wants to go do that. But like you said, who knows what he's actually up to. If he really wants to fund something to go to Mars, great. He is 71, so he's significantly older than these other tech billionaires that are have big space companies. So I don't know. And let's not forget what happened to Straddle Launch, too. It was mm -hmm. another tech billionaire that uh, passed away before the Straddle Launch could actually be active. I mean, and I'm not being disparaging here, but let's also remember... He's basically been retired for ages. He just finds things he's interested yeah. in and becomes involved in them. It doesn't necessarily mean anything great is going to come of it. It's more Steve Wozniak is interested in it. He's got name recognition, so let's attach him to things. And he, he has genuine intellectual curiosity about a lot of different things. Like if you've ever heard him give talks and things like that, the dude is fascinated and curious about so much stuff. That So I'm not saying... This won't be successful or will be successful. Just keep in mind that he likes to be involved in all sorts of different things. And just because his name is attached to it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be some grand, great thing that happens. It's something he's curious about and wants to try and explore the capabilities of. And, and the other thing, too, I think that's important to remember here is because he has been involved with environmental sustainability projects before that 
Pro- profit might not be number one on the goal list here, right? Like, you know, some form of obviously paying for itself could be, or, but it could be largely environmentally driven or, you know, um, like I said, altruistic. So th- we we don't know what this quote company is going to be. Could it turn into more of an organization? Maybe. But I guess we'll we'll see what happens with this. There, it, it, it's a paragraph on YouTube. That's all we've got. So you're saying the Waz would be a terrible Ferengi. <laughs> yes, for sure. All right. What we got going on here in Grand Theft Auto news? Yeah. So uh, this weekend, I know Willie Nelson, my co-host on the All Things Good Nerdy Show, was really happy about the fact that Sony was doing a PlayStation showcase event. They're basically going through and showing trailers and debuts of future games would be coming to the console. This included things like the new Marvel Spider-Man, a new Wolverine title, the new God of War. Oh, and also Grand Theft Auto, but not Grand Theft Auto 6. We're still talking about Grand Theft Auto 5. They did show off a trailer for GTA 5, expanded and enhanced at the PlayStation Showcase 2021, and fans are not having it. This trailer from the PS5 event is already up to 100,000 dislikes on YouTube. Why is that the case, everyone? Let's go and do a little bit of history. Before the latest generation of consoles released this last year with the PS5 and the Xbox Series line, Rockstar Games had announced the enhanced version of GTA 5 would be coming to the new hardware. Okay, that's cool, I guess, but let's go back and look in time. The enhancement now makes this the third console generation that Grand Theft Auto 5 has officially released on, originally dropping on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 back in September 2013. Yes, GTA 5 has been out for a long time. And I will say this, it does have a really fun single-player campaign, as GTA games are well-known to have. At the PlayStation Showcase, Rockstar released the new trailer, gave an official release date, which then delayed the game to next spring, based off what previous release dates had been. Fans not happy because what they really want is a GTA 6, because it's been since 2013. At one point in time, we were averaging like two to three years between GTA releases, where they had very expansive, very engrossing single-player games. Why is GTA 5 being re-released? Well, it's not so people can enjoy the campaign as much on this new generation of consoles. It's because Rockstar, with this game, launched what they call GTA Online. It's an online MMO-like world where everyone can exist and play. There's people that do LARP kind of activities on there. There's people that just run missions with other folks. But the key thing here is they have a living online game that people go and buy shark cards, which are effectively microtransactions for in-game currency to buy weapons, to build out their hideouts, to buy cosmetics and things like that. And they are making absolute bank on microtransactions over the last two generations of consoles. So they have extended that to the third generation of consoles. So my personal belief, we're not going to see GTA 6 anytime soon because they're still making so much money off of the game they released in 2013. And there are a lot of fans, myself included, who like to play GTA games but never got into the online aspect of things. So they're kind of annoyed and disappointed that we are going on almost eight years now with no sign of a GTA 6 even beginning development because GTA 5 is too profitable. I get what Rockstar is doing, but as a fan of the single-player game experience, I'm kind of disappointed. So I understand why this would be so quickly downvoted on YouTube to have 100,000 thumbs downs like in three days. There's a very upset fan base here, and it goes to show the trend we have seen in games now, which is if I can find a way to monetize and keep people playing it, we're not necessarily worried about sequels. We're worried about ever-living games that we can run for five, eight years and just keep people putting in microtransactions or monthly subscription fees. And it's kind of a bummer because that's not what I want to see as the future of gaming. I want to see more things like Marvel Spider-Man, which is an awesome single-player game, or um, other games like that that we've seen come out. Psychonauts 2, for instance, on the Xbox, things like that. Give me more single-player fun games. But at the same time, I understand that doesn't make the companies as much money. And it kind of bums me out that that's seemingly the future of video gaming. I'm looking forward to GTA 6. This is going to be awesome. Your kids will be able to play it by that time because it'll be rated M and your kids will be 20 years old or not probably oh, by the time they release it. You missed that point. grandkids. 
You meant grandkids, oh, I'm right? Sorry. Yeah, your grandkids <laughs> will be 20 years old. I mean, at some point, they're going to have to re-release or make a newer version. There's only so much that you can do to upscale graphics from a 2013 console in today's 4K, 60 frame per second HDR world. There's only so much they can do. This is not going to look nearly as good as modern releases. I think that's the sticking point eventually. It's Rockstar. They'd probably invest money to have people rebuild the entire thing in a modern technology. <laughs> They'll probably just rebuild the whole engine and just sell GTA Online. But GTA 6, what's that? Everything's GTA Online now. <laughs> okay, so first of all, the 100,000 dislikes, I don't think that really matters for the YouTube algorithm. I think as far as YouTube goes, it actually proves that people have been to the video and like the video. So the algorithm is probably showing it to more people because of that. Now, I don't know that for sure, but in my experience and every research that I've heard about it, it's a positive even to get thumbs down versus uh, you would think it would be a negative. So that's number one. Number two, with the problem of getting a hold of con the newer consoles right now, like the PlayStation 5, and the next Xbox, what is it? Xbox Series X? Is that what it is? Or Xbox X or Series what, what? S and X are both available. Right. What is the well, okay? So what's the newest one? Series S and X. Okay. So I would love to have one, but I am not going to rush to try to buy one when it's available or whatever. You know, it has availability issues and They've announced that the availability issues will continue because of the supply chain. So based on that, I could kind of see this rolling for a little bit longer because they want to pander to people with older machines so that they can still play and have fun with it. And GTA 5 is ubiquitous and everybody likes but to play it, with it. It could work backwards compatible, but they decided not to make it backwards compatible so that people would have to shell money out to buy a new version of the game. Yeah, I get I get that. But my, my point is that I can see older games still being playable, being a thing and that uh, on the older consoles and that moving forward is going to be more and more difficult as the pandemic rolls on and the supply chain issues roll on and people aren't able to get a hold of the newer machines as they go forward. That's the only commentary I was going to have on this particular issue. Then, then why released on the next gen consoles? I mean, the, the simple problem here is they could have just made it backwards compatible if they really wanted people to play GTA Online, but by making it so that it's basically just another remaster and you got to drop your 60 bucks again to be able to play it, it's problematic. Although I think it may work backwards compatibility with Xbox. I'm not sure about PS5 just because of the nature of how they work. I need to go mm -hmm. research that. But So, and, it, and literally it's because these new machines aren't out that they're saying, okay, you have to pay for this game then re then just make it backwards compatible is what i'm saying that keeps the money train going instead they're double dipping they're keeping the money train going online and saying rebuy the game right to be able and to that's, play it that's with my moderate point. visual enhancements yes that's my point they're deliberately doing this because of the supply chain issue now this has been long and happening before the supply chain issue though the speed of game development is not that quick yes i understand that but they're not really motivated to move forward forward right now. Whereas if there wasn't a pandemic and the boxes were very available to get and not as expensive, then the games might be a little bit easier to sell their newer stuff. So I just, but, I think it's all a uh, roll up into game availability. I don't think I buy the pandemic argument on this one. I understand what you're saying. I don't buy it. This has been too long in development. And this is just the pattern they followed over three you generations don't have to buy of consoles. It. It's now. just my opinion. Yeah. What's the GTA market share of PC versus console? Because it, is it still oh, on I PC? I have no idea. It's available on PC also. Yeah. yeah. It came to PC after it released on consoles. Okay. And there's a lot of people that still play it on Twitch. There's an active Twitch community. There's people that do like the living GTA online where you log in and my career is I'm a police officer and I go and do my patrol and like they literally role play being the police officer radioing things in doing traffic stops and stuff like that there's a crazy amount of dedicated people that do like role playing of gta 5 and it's fascinating to watch but i'm like 
I don't know how you get into this. You must be a Twitch streamer all the time and you're monetizing this to be able to do your four-hour shift as a police officer on GTA Online. <laughs> well, in any case, uh, I think we can call it now. Xbox Series X, PlayStation 5, they're done. There, there won't be a market share for them at all. There's not going not gonna to happen. I don't think anyone said that. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, let's go on to our next news point here, which is about James Webb doing its thing. What's going on? Talking about supply chain delays, right? So NASA and the European Space Agency, which I will say ESA from now on, are now targeting December 18th as the new launch target date for the James Webb Space Telescope. The new target date is almost seven weeks later than the originally planned Halloween, October 31st launch plan. James Webb has not yet shipped from its current location in California to ESA's launch site in the French Guiana and estimates that the observatory needs about 10 weeks turnaround time from shipping until launch. So when the shipping container leaves California, it's going to be about 10 weeks before it is able to launch. Additionally, the Iran 5 rocket that will launch the observatory only began its journey from Europe to South America for the flight in mid-August, according to a statement by the ESA. Once the James Webb Space Telescope launches, the spacecraft will spend about a month traveling the 930,000 miles or 1.5 million kilometers, which I assumed was trillion kilometers, and they just you know left it at million, you know, because conversion rate between miles and kilometers for you Canadians. Anyway, bad joke. Out to its destination, which is the second Lagrange point. At L2, James Webb will experience a relatively stable parking orbit on the opposite side of the Earth from the sun. The location is crucial for James Webb, which must remain well shielded from the heat that would interfere with the infrared capabilities on the observatory. The telescope's instruments won't turn on for two to three months after launch, and the typical science won't begin until about six months after launch, according to the ESA. So we're looking at next summer time frame before we're actually going to get any scientific data from the James Webb Space Telescope. I think it's really telling that the rocket hadn't even left until August because the rocket's got to get down there and it's got to be put together. You got to throw on the telescope on top and you got to get ready to launch. Plus, there was all the issues with the Iran 5 rocket that they had to have several other launches to make sure that the telemetry data wasn't going to shake apart the James Webb Space Telescope when it launches. So they're being very safe with this one. It's an irreplaceable one-time only deal versus other satellites that the Iran 5 launches might have a backup or something like that. The James Webb doesn't have a backup. It's it. So they're being really careful with it. So is the December 18th date going to happen? I don't know. There's no like mandate. Like we need to watch, <laughs> launch this by 2021. There's no mandate on that. So what? if it Sir? slips until 2022, I could see that. If they want to make sure to get it up under any circumstances, maybe they should just talk to Virgin Galactic. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought that Steve Wozniak was making his company so he could retrieve it when the launch failed and it got stuck mm. in weird orbit because this thing's just cursed, it seems like. You know, <laughs> not just this, you know, the Russian module that just went up, mm. that was pretty cursed. Yeah. You know, if you had any sorts of recovery capability, that would have helped that. So I think if you're going to deal with space junk, you could also deal with uh, space recovery and assistance, you know, kind of like... Um, uh, tugboat USA is for <laughs> seafarers. You know, you have a tugboat space for low Earth orbit stuff, or even if you're up in geo belt, whatever. Once you get beyond Earth, though, it's going to be very difficult to go and render any sort of assistance these days. So if you're at the yeah. Lagrange L2 point, unless you have something like a starship, which can be refueled and you send it up with other starships to refuel it, I don't see a rescue mission happening. Plus, the James Webb needs fuel to use its actual scientific instruments. Once that fuel runs out, which is basically just, you know, frozen gas so it can cool its instruments, then it's done. It can't be used as a telescope anymore. It's not going to be like Hubble, which will be used for 30 years. 
But we'll just our, send our, Suncast out to fix it if they run out of fuel. I, I thought He's they were going to actually plug into the EV charger that was in the parking spot. <laughs> Jeez. So they can keep the uh, the Tesla charge that's in space right now, right? Because because you said he's going into parking spot orbit, right? Yep. So the L two Lagrange point is a stable point in space between the Moon and the Earth, so it's always in the same spot when relatively to in relative distance to the Earth and the Moon. So it's not going to be moved. You don't have to worry about it orbiting around or moving or anything like that. It's just there. It's like a geosynchronous satellite. So you said it's in the same spot, and I'm trying to figure out what does Data's cat have to do with this story? Everything. Spot's really the impetus of what's going on in Next Generation and Picard. It's all Spot's fault. (laughs) Fun fact, Spot is actually Odo shapeshifted. That's what it is. I thought Spot was Q's boss. All right, well, moving on to our last little bonus news point that we've got here. Uh, what's going on over the world of space? X, X, X. Yeah, I just wanted to throw this in there for anybody watching live. On September 15th, 2021, which is this Wednesday, the first all-civilian space mission is scheduled to launch from NASA in the Kennedy Space Center, which is Cape Canaveral, Florida, no earlier than Wednesday at 8 p.m., Eastern Daylight Time. The decision for the tentative launch time was made based on weather projections for the launch area, which if you don't know, there's a major tropical storm that's ripping through the Gulf of Mexico right now, and it's supposed to swing its way towards the East Coast once it makes landfall. The Crew Dragon is being used is the vehicle named Resilience, which also flew on SpaceX Crew-1 mission to the International Space Station for NASA. Resilience will make a solo journey this time. It's not going to hook up with the ISS. It will actually fly higher than the ISS before splashing down in the Pacific Ocean. It is the first all-civilian space mission. So it's scheduled to launch on Wednesday. I don't know whether that's going to happen or not because of weather and who knows what else is going to happen. But I wanted to throw this in there for anybody catching this live that this is happening. So if you want to watch it happening you can be alerted to what's going on and go to their Discord server at gunnygeek.com slash Discord. I'm sure I will put a link on there. Awesome. So that's going to take us to the end of the show. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote, Chris Farrell? Friendly reminder, there's a lot of stuff that streams live here at Geeks.Live. If you're there right now, scroll down to the bottom of the page. You'll see a calendar of all of our upcoming live events. You can go check out another show and tell them that we sent you. SP. We've been having a blast over on Legends of Shield reviewing the What If episodes. Now, in full honesty, the one that was just last week wasn't my favorite, but there were a lot of implications that it might have. So we talked through that on this week's episode of Legends of Shield's episode 391 over What If Zombies. So you can check that out at gunnageek.com. Did either of you guys read the Marvel Zombies comic? No. I did not. Chris Osborne, who's on my podcast as a guest right now because Michelle is taking a sabbatical, he did read them, and so did Lauren. So they had a decent discussion between them. I think the comics are a very interesting way to look at the, to compare against the show that happened because they, they kind of had to tame things down for a zombie cartoon on Disney Plus that wasn't going to be bloody and gory like the comics could be. I enjoyed both, to be honest, though. I had a lot of issues with the story of the how they pieced together the story. Like, the, the ending, I just, I didn't get the ending at all. So, I still, to this day, if somebody can explain the ending to me, the episode might make more sense. I think that gave us Chadwick Boseman's last words the MCU, and if those were his last words... That one hurts a little bit. No, he's so got he's, more? Okay. He's credited for four total episodes. Okay, so this okay. is the second one. So there will be two more if IMDb is correct. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, I personally didn't care much for it either. I also thought that... Um, I thought there, this one's end was poor um, as well. I, I do also think that the... I think it was the last one had a poor ending too. There, there was one of the most recent ones that it wasn't that a poor ending. Off. It was just a depressing uh, ending. 
You're talking mm-hmm. about the Doctor Strange one? Yeah, uh, I'd have to go look. There was one that I went at the end. I was like, eh, it's kind of lame. So uh, it just kind of felt abrupt to me as well. But this one definitely was abrupt. It was odd. And um, Stephen, you did a Walking Dead podcast. We ran into how zombie stories end all the time. This was completely in, in line <laughs> with what we saw yeah, in the Walking I, I, Dead. Yeah, Fair I kind of had my mindset uh, <laughs> in going into a zombie show that everybody was going to die or a lot of people were going to die. So I, that, that was my mindset going in. That was not my issue that I had. I had an issue with like what what was actually happening at the end. They no, weren't I, very descriptive. I 100% agree. It was like there was no resolve. And that that's what I meant. Like, it would just seem like nothing, like it just ended. Like there was, there was no, it, it was no, no like resolve. It was like an ongoing story yeah. that, yeah. That got lobbed off. Yeah. And, I, the, and the last scene was like, so? so? Okay. What, what are you trying to say? What are you doing with me? And it was, but, yeah. I, that's fine. I get it. But. This is just like the what if comics where they do the exact same kind of thing where you think you get resolution and then you get some weird little tease of how this may have continued. Like you sons of expletives. <laughs> well, well I- like with the Captain Carter one, it, it goes through kind of what, what you're saying, but it was a story and then it kind of transitioned into a coda, right? There was a coda at the end. Same with Star Lord. And even with the Doctor Strange one, it was like, okay, so we're at an ending point. Could there be more? Yes, especially with the Watcher's comments. With this one, it's like, I j- I have no idea what you're trying to do here. And I have, I will say this though, it was it was a thumbs down for me overall. But I will say that um, once I got over what they were doing with the zombies, which took a little bit to get over. I, I did enjoy it more than the Captain Carter one because, again, there was more original things that happened. Captain Carter was very, very plain and very... It was boring overall to me. It, it was very unoriginal what I, I they did see in that Captain for you. Carter. So these What If episodes are definitely very divisive because the Captain mm-hmm. Carter episode, there's a whole fandom out there that are just gaga over this whole thing because that's one of the key factors that they watch the MCU for was Peggy and Steve's relationship. So they're all over it. But I can see how somebody like yourself didn't like it because of the reasons that you stated. I think where these are fun is they're just so completely different from week to week. One week you get the tragic tale of trying to use magic to solve all your consequences and how you can't change some things. Some things you just lose and there's no choice and you've got to embrace it. Then you go to a crazy zombie story or, hey, those typical kind of arguments we've had as kids or even now as we're getting older, how would it be different if the Black Panther was Star-Lord? Stuff like that. Like, this is the kind of stuff that I grew up debating with my friends on, like, message boards and stuff <laughs> like that. So I've had a lot of fun with it, and I feel like it's pretty faithful to the spirit of the what-if comics, which I generally enjoyed. And for those that aren't aware, and we're going way off tangent here, I apologize. They were basically just, like, a one-shot book of what if this one event in a Marvel Universe was different? How would things be different? And you go, holy crap, everything would have unraveled. It would have been insane. And that's kind of the fun here. And that's why I really hope that they don't take a lot of these things from what if season one and continue them in season two. And I think the only thing they've said so far they're going to do is Captain Carter at this point in season two. That's the only one that's confirmed, but they did come out and say, we are going to do more. So I just don't know which ones. Oh, you're going to get more more. Marvel zombies. (laughs) considering there's like 10 volumes of comics Uh, on it. Oh my gosh. I, I hope, well, if they do, I hope they do the story better. I will say this though. I, I did enjoy how this one had Andrew Garfield, uh, Andrew Gar- Garfield Spider Man in it because he was very yeah, he much more like he looked, he looked more like Garfield than he did uh, Holland. Yeah, Holland. Sure. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Now I, I think that could have very well been intentional because like the hair was completely different actually, and they probably specifically did it so that they could avoid having to do anything uh, with we with enjoyed- Sony. <laughs> Yeah, we enjoyed speculating why Tom Holland wasn't the voice actor for Spider-Man in this one. Money, now, money, I, I money, don't, money. I, I don't think it was that. So you'll have to listen to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. to find out what our thoughts are. We go over the entire voiceover cast every time. It was not Tom Holland that did Spider-Man. Money, 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 money. Nope, I don't think so. All right. And before we go, I was going to mention, uh, keep your ears on the next week, a uh, c- couple episodes of the Gonna Geek Show. We'll have a bit of an update um, for you. Then uh, keep your ears out there. So for episode 391 of the official Gonna Geek Show, I'm Steven saying Marvel Zombies. I can see why some people liked it. For me, I'd rather have Gonna Geek Zombies. 
And I'm MSP saying, I'm not a zombie fan. I'm Chris, and I still want my five bucks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and he's going to give you $5 in some currency that is just like, I don't know, five Doesn't cents matter. American. I've gotten five bucks finally. <laughs> checking out another episode of the official gunageek.com show if you like the show please give us a five-star review in apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on youtube you can always join us for our live recording sessions which stream mondays at 8 45 p.m eastern at www.geeks.live and remember you can find our full back catalog at gunageek.com forward slash show if you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week. <laughs>